This message is brought to you by Nuveen. Nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years with expertise across income and alternatives. Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Coming up, Oscar winner Kate Blanchett will be talking about her new film, Carol. So Christopher, am I a celebrity or am I a marquee guest? Which which one do I fall into? Uh, you are both and so much more. How about that? Artiste, so you should probably put that in there. An artist. Oh, yes, or artiste. <laughs> Updates on arts and entertainment. Interviews with celebrities and marquee guests. This is WSJ Speakeasy. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor with The Wall Street Journal. I'm here with Kate Blanchett, the Oscar-winning actress who is in the new film Carol. Kate, thanks for calling in to The Wall Street Journal. Pleasure. Well, this new film, Carol, is based on a tale written by Patricia Highsmith, and she was first hooked into the story in 1948. She's working in a department store. She sees a woman in a fur coat, an elegant woman, blondish, and something about that hooks her in, and she goes home to her apartment, and the story pours out of her about these two women who fall in love. Mm. What about this story hooked you in? Well, I'm a huge Patricia Highsmith fan. I, I started reading her years ago when I was um, working with the, the late, great Anthony Minghella on The Talent of Mr. Ripley. And, um, and I read this and thought it was extraordinary because everyone thinks about Patricia Highsmith as being sort of the mistress of the crime genre, but she writes so lucidly about the sort of the dark recesses of the human mind, you know, the parts of ourselves that we kept hidden from other people. And, you know, when when one falls in love, as Therese finds herself doing, without the language to, to, to process that because she's falling in love with a woman, uh, I think she feels sort of furtive and, and, and criminal. And I, fa- I found that really compelling. Now, the final shot of the film, and I'm, I won't give anything no away. No spoilers. I'm not going to give anything away. No spoiler alerts here. But there's a shot of you with you at a table, your head is slightly tilted, and there's something about it that pulls the viewer in, into your eyes, into your emotions, into what you're going through. And I'm wondering, as an actress, how do you communicate that? How do you get across so much without words? Uh, Rudy's the same, I think. We, we, we love those moments, which were inbuilt into Phyllis Nagy's beautiful screenplay. The moments of silence, you know, the, the ambiguity when you've, you've thrown a suggestion out there to, to, to your object of desire and you're not sure whether it's being received or are you speaking about the same thing? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Are you feeling what I'm feeling? But we shot the scene relatively late in the piece, so Rooney and I had um, been working together for a while. What was tricky about that particular sequence was that it, the camera is really, it's like being on the ocean. It's beautiful camera work by, by Ed Luckman. And Rooney and I couldn't actually look at one another because for me, maybe it's being a theatre animal, is it's always off the other actor the other, or actors that, that you, you find that connection. So when you can't look at them, you have to have a seared into your brain the memory of what you've done together. Um, and so that was quite tricky. But it's great when you can dispense with words and deal with subtext. It's fantastic terrain to exist in as an actor. And there were so many gems in the book, you know, scenes in the book that, that obviously didn't make it to the screenplay, into the film, but you could pepper um, those observations, those internal monologues that the characters were having. Um, so there was a lot to, to, to feed the characters in life. 
if that answers your question. It certainly does. And you mentioned Rooney Mara, who plays Therese, the woman who, whom your character falls in love with. Mm-hmm. And one thing I find interesting is when you have a movie that has romance at its center, how important that connection, that chemistry is with the other actress. And I'm wondering, or actor, yeah. uh, and I'm wondering, what do you do to make sure that's there on screen? Do you do any kind of team-building exercises during rehearsals, <laughs> or how does it work? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. I mean, sometimes you can have a great rapport with people, and, and the camera doesn't necessarily capture it. I think you're much more in control of that on the stage than you are on screen. But what gave me enormous confidence, also because of the fact that I deeply admire uh, Rooney as an actress, so forget the character, you know, there was a love of her body of work and a love of the choices she was making, and I find her really um, interesting and compelling um, just to, to be around. Uh, but but it was it was the it was our um, proximity to Todd. It was very much a threesome, as it were, because he's so inside the work, um, and so I felt that the camera and his gaze was was really at one with what we were were doing. But then you never know until you see the final product whether that's been captured. But I thought we had a good chance at it because of Todd. Now, when Patricia Highsmith first wrote this book, and mm-hmm. called it The Price of Salt. Under a pseudonym, yeah. Uh, under a pseudonym. Uh, it was rejected by her publisher. She had to go elsewhere to get it published. Things were quite different in terms of what people thought of uh, of gay rights and gay life. I mean, she talks about, and afterwards she once wrote, about how gay bars were hard to find. They were in the dark recesses of cities, and people couldn't go to them openly. What about this tale do you think speaks to today, a day in which we have same-sex marriage endorsed by the Supreme Court? Is there something about not this tale? Not in my country. <laughs> not in Australia. Not yet. There's many, many countries where, where it's not. I mean, it's still very much on the political uh, you know, agenda. Not in Uganda. Not in many parts of Russia. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I still think it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's an uneasy subject for a lot of people. I think what's interesting is culture always leads leads the conversation and that there's a, there's many, many different voices um, and, and many different relationships described on screen in works of literature. Um, uh, you know, and I think the media is keeping, keeping the conversation alive so that no longer does a film like this, like Carol, have to speak to or stand for all of those relationships. It can simply exist in its own right. And so I think it, the, you know, the situation has, 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 has travelled a long way since Patricia Highsmith first uh, wrote the novel. And it, but in fact, you know, at the time that the novel was written, it was, it was revolutionary because it, it ended with possibility. It didn't end with one of, them, you know, one of the women becoming a nun or killing herself or being redeemed by the love of a good man. So it was quite revolutionary then. And, and I think the challenge was how do we make it as fresh and um, as, um, as new as it was at the time. See, I was going to talk about the ending, but I didn't want to give away anything for people. So. I think possibility. <laughs> I, I was trying to be sort of ambiguous. <laughs> you were very artful. We'll be right back with a little more from Kate Blanchett. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, updates on arts and entertainment, interviews with celebrities, and marquee guests. This 
is WSJ Speakeasy. We're here with Kate Blanchett talking about her new film, Carol. Now, of course, over your, your career, you've had so many great roles in great scripts. So, Christopher, and, am I a celebrity or am I a marquee guest? Which, which one do I fall into? Uh, you are both and so much more. How about that? <laughs> marquee guest. <laughs> You're an artiste, so you should probably put that in there. An artist. Yes, or artiste. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've had Mother so of four. I mean, there's so many labels one could have. <laughs> we could go on, um, but you've had so many great roles over the years. I've been very lucky, yeah. Uh, but you know, not every actress is so lucky. And I'm wondering, what do you do to pick out a script? What do you look for when a script crosses your desk? Where you say, "That's what I want to. Uh, that's what I want to do." It's a. I feel a little bit like it's playing bingo. You know, you get the numbers and then you think, oh, gosh, this is going to happen in the children's holidays. I can, I can do this one or, or this is a great screenplay, but I don't know whether that's the right director for it or, you know, mm, I feel like this is a really great story, but I feel like I've trodden this path before. You know, it's, it's very, very uh, instinctual. And hopefully over the years I've, I've got well-honed instincts. But, you know, sometimes you make the wrong choices or... or you know, something you'd like to be offered doesn't come your way. So the next thing that you're offered, you you try and make as interesting as possible. But it's it's pretty random. I mean, when I came out of drama school, I went to a theatre school in Sydney, NIDA, the National Institute. When I came out, I, I thought, well, there's a lot of actors out there, great actors who don't work, and I don't think I have the strength, the resilience to withstand the rejection, so I'll give it five years. And, but I never really expected to make a film. So, I, you know, every time I'm offered something, usually something that surprises me, um, I'm kind of grateful and excited to be making it. And people, of course, always talk about your talents as an actress, but you run a theater company, mm-hmm. um, you produce films. What do you look for in a great performance? When you see someone doing it on screen, what things do you pick out and say, that's right, that's what makes that a great performance? I think when you when they are the doorway through which you fall into the film, when you find yourself not thinking about, oh, okay, oh, that's right, this is a terrible divorce that this person has gone through. No wonder they can be making me feel this because, um, you know, the, the film's about divorce. When you, know, it's, when you forget about the actor uh, in, entirely, I think. But also it's, there's a shamanistic quality to great performances, I think, that I've seen and... You think, I have no idea how you're doing this. Hmm. And when you start the process for a film, you've gotten a script, you've agreed to do it, what do you do first? What are the steps by which you start to create that character? I usually poke my husband at 3 a.m. the night before (laughs) the first table read and I say, say, what's my process? How do I do this? And he says, "Just, just pack your bag go to the table, read, and something will happen. And I, I, but, you know, there's, there's, it's not just boredom with how repetitive I am, that, but there's advice in that, you know, that the work reveals what you have to do. I mean, I, I love, you know, and I, I was at university studying fine arts and economics. I was a hopeless academic. But I, but I think what I love is I love the kind of the, the visceral nature of the, of the research that you can make manifest physically and psychologically, the things that you read around. So, um, and Todd is um, very visually stimulated and invites everybody into um, his scrapbook world. You know, the the visual world of the film, the, the 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 music that you know, the tone of the film. And so, I love that. And I think if you're open to the subject of the film, open to the other actors, then 
then you find each time the way you need to work. Now, um, whenever I read articles about you, the word chameleon comes up. People describe you as a chameleon. And you know, more and more in movies these days, people are able to transform themselves with computer enhancements. You saw that happen when you were in The Lord of the Rings. What yes, do you they're think? not my ears. <laughs> they're <laughs> not. Prosthetic. You spoiled the movie for me now. Yeah. I, I thought that was just your acting ability. <laughs> uh, but, you know, with technology enhancing, changing, and sometimes even replacing performances, do you think it threatens what you do? Or what do you think of the way in which technology has sort of pushed itself into the acting realm these days? Yes, and I remember when James Cameron was doing Avatar and everyone was saying, you know, oh gosh, it's going to be dispensing away with the with the human element um, of of the of of what we do. I love the theatre. I love the live. I love the fact that you know you can't. It either happens or it doesn't. Um, it lifts off or it doesn't. And I love the proximity to the audience. And I I think that's been going since the Greeks, since before the Greeks. Um, and I, I do think people ultimately will gravitate. The, the more computer-enhanced something becomes, the more people will want to gather together and see the flesh. I just think that where you can't um, eliminate that drive. But it's it's here, and it's fascinating. <clears throat> but I, I, I don't know that it's everything. Although I did have someone say to me the other day that they find it really hard to... Someone who was, you know, uh, is only 24, who's grown up with HD... Um, was saying to me, you know, that he finds it hard to watch anything that doesn't have CGI. And I, I thought he was joking, but I guess it's a little bit like, you know, my parents pushing me to see a lot of black and white films. Um, and, and, and I love doing that because when I was born, there was still black and white television. So it was still my, in the realm of my understanding. But you ask someone, you know, my kids now, I, I was trying to get them to watch Buster Keaton. And so, as soon as they saw the, the beginning, they went, oh, is there something wrong with the television? I think that, that our, the, way we, the way generations uh, in front of me have start looking at things is very different. And you have to be alive to that. So how can I harness the way they see things? How can I subvert that or work with that? You know, you can't um, rail against it. Now, I've seen you give many quotes about uh, the difficulty sometimes about getting films made that have women's lives at the center. And Carol certainly is a film like that with two fascinating women at the center. But, but I was looking over the top grossing films of 2015 so far, and a lot of them do feature women like Inside Out, Cinderella, which you were in, Pitch Perfect 2, um, uh, Home, Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, these are all films that are making a lot of money at the box office. What do you think still prompts some studio executives to think that we can't bet on women to put them at the center of the film? This won't gross a lot of money. I just think it's lazy, entrenched thinking. I think it's uncreative thinking. But then making Scooby-Doo 4, <laughs> you know, instead of giving Martin Scorsese the amount of money or Jane Campion the amount of money to, to make a film that is going to last for decades and decades and decades is also entrenched, lazy thinking. Um you know, there's no formula to making these things. And um, I think it's great when when um, films with, you know, women make up, a, you know, over 50% of the audience. And it, it's more creative for the entire population and for the entire creative process. If there's a diverse array of um, people involved from all walks of life, all, you know, different demographics, um, you know, in the conversation, it, it means that the, the, the cultural product's less homogenous frankly 
um, I just think it's lazy. You can't be angry about it, but you've got to keep challenging it. Like you do with every, every, um, every time you make a film that's, that's going to sort of hopefully break the mould, there's fear around it because they haven't seen it before, you know. Well, the film is Carol. The star is Kate Blanchett. And Rooney Mara. <laughs> and Rooney Mara. Thanks a lot for talking to The Wall Street Journal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor with The Wall Street Journal. We've been talking to Kate Blanchett about her film, Carol. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.